Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're about to celebrate this unbelievable holiday of Sukkot, and we're, we're starting to get to the very end of the Torah, up to Parsha's Hazinu, which is a, an amazing an amazing Parsha. Um, but I just want to tell you something that just happened to me, sort of like uh, further m- misadventures in autocorrect. Uh, I just texted my, my wife to tell her that I, I got the... Uh, the Lulav and Esrig, and sent it, and I see that what I had actually sent was, I just got the lullaby in Erica. <laughs> she wrote back to me, she wrote back to me, uh, perplexed. Um, <laughs> I, another time, my, it just it reminds me, my, my brother-in-law, it was before uh, Rosh Hashanah or something like that, and he said, wishing you a... Uh, uh, a lot of nachos, and, and with the autocorrect, it came back, wishing you a lot of nachos. <laughs> so, <laughs> all, all true, all true. So, um, anyway, so much, uh, so much going on, um, but, but I actually want to address something which is, I, I think, sort of, is one of the sort of scourges of, of the human condition, of, of mankind um, in general. Um, and that's uh, that's loneliness, and and if we if we take it and we want to make it sound even sort of fancier, uh, existential loneliness. What, what's existential loneliness? That, that that means that you know they talk about the experience of feeling alone in a crowded room. Meaning to say that that companionship is something that's very deep. Um, it doesn't mean just being uh, physically together with another person in the same room. Um, unless you actually feel understood, you can feel um, very, very deeply alone. Uh, so, so, you know, it, it gives you a, a further appreciation of what it says in Pirkei Avos, uh, where it says, uh, the sages teach us, you know, it says... Um, Take a, a teacher upon yourself. Every person should have a teacher. Even the greatest people among the Jewish people, the greatest rabbis, have had people who they ask questions to. Because it's important to have someone above you. Because if you have no one above you, then you start to feel like you're a God. And so as an act of sort of, um, you'll excuse the phrase, institutionalizing humility, um, it's, it's important to have a, a Rav or someone who you can ask a question to because a person has to be in a place of not knowing and asking. And so that has to be fixed in every person's life. But the next thing after that teaching about accepting upon yourself a Rav is um, buy yourself a friend. So, which sounds so counterintuitive because it's sort of like, I would imagine myself that 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 if I have to buy a friend, it's not really a friend. But, but look at what the sages are saying. They're saying that it's so important to have someone who understands you that it's even worth buying a friend. In fact, you should buy a friend. That, fascinating. And by the way, um, I learned not so long ago that the Lubavitcher Rebbe uses that, that, that teaching as the source for going to a psychologist. Because what's, what's a psychologist? You're buying a friend. You're paying someone to listen to. So it's interesting, interesting. But anyway, getting back to this idea of, of loneliness and even existential loneliness, how important it is um, 
to feel connected. Remember, we said, we said I think it was a couple of weeks ago, this very deep teaching from Reb Shlomo, um, which is, who are the living people in this world and who are the dead people in this world? And we're talking about people who's all in the category of people whose hearts are beating, right? Whose minds are working. You see, there's... Whatever's going on in this world, there's a parallel to the, to the higher world. And just like, just like there's a you below, there's also a you above. There's this higher aspect of yourself. And he says that the dead people in this world are those people who are no longer connected to themselves above. You have to be connected to the you above to really be alive. And if you're connected to the you above, then you have the capacity actually on, on some level to even make yourself into a best friend. You know? So that you know, because you see, part of it is if you're connected to the you above, then you're also connecting to Hashem. That's, that's what it is, because you understand that you're part of something greater. So all of this is... All of this is... Uh, kind of just background and preparation for the thought that I want to share. I'm going to throw in one more teaching about loneliness. I heard this from Reb Shlomo in the name of the the Solonimer the Rebbe. Um, something very deep. It says, see, we have... Um, God is one, but at the same time, there are all these different forces in the world, all under the auspices of, of God. See, a lot of people, they're, they're confused by evil. They, they wonder, how, if, if God is, if there's evil in this world, it must be that this world is an epic confrontation between God and the devil. But you see, that's not, that's not a Jewish idea, actually. Because then there are two powers. There's God, and then there's the other side. That's, that's not a Jewish idea. We say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokein, Hashem Echad, God is one. So if God is one, how can there be evil in this world if God is good? These are all giant questions, but luckily we've had sages contemplating these things for thousands of years so we can give an answer right away. So the answer is that when, when the Sutton, so to speak, when the, when the negative inclination comes to you, he wants you to say no, because he's working for God. And, and the teaching, which I, I just endlessly love this, is that when you're sort of like compelled to make perhaps the wrong decision, if you... If you give in to it, it says that the Sutton rips its clothes and cries. But if you say no to that sort of temptation, whatever it is, the, it, it jumps up and dances. Because it's working for God. It's, it's got a lousy job. It wants you to do the wrong thing, but it doesn't really want you to do the wrong thing. And it's very happy when you don't. Okay, so with that in mind, in terms of the nations of the world, what, what nation symbolizes that force which is trying to undermine us? That would be a Amalek. And it says there's a very sort of curious um, language in the Torah. When it says that Amalek attacked us, it should use the plural, lechem, meaning all of us. It attacked the nation of Israel in the desert. But it doesn't say that. It says, even though it's talking about the whole nation, it uses a singular. It says that Amalek attacked you, lecha, individually. And the Sloan Marebi has a very deep psychological insight based on that. It says, do you know how evil comes to a person? 
it tells you that you're all alone. Right? Because really, the, the passage is describing how it attacked the nation. So why is it saying it attacked you individually? Because that's how it gets to us, by telling us that there's no one else in the world that understands us. Right? That we're all alone. Okay. So there's a reason why I'm talking about all this. And it's because there's a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating sort of um, uh, unique thing in the Torah. And, and that is, you know, there's, our tradition is, is that there's 600,000 letters in the Torah. Okay? And in this week's Parsha, we have a large letter hey. Now that's always unique and super cool, right? Wow, a large letter and you can learn all sorts of things from that. But what's unique about this large letter hey is that it's it's its own word. So it is the only one-letter word in the entire Torah. Does everyone hear that? It's the only one-letter word in the entire Torah. In other words, our tradition is 600,000 letters. One of those 600,000 letters is a word. It's not just a letter. So that's kind of way out. And not only that, but it's a large letter, hey. So... So again, that, that's what it looks like. If you want to look it up in the Torah, it's um, chapter 32, verse 6. You'll see the large letter hey. So, so I had a bunch of questions about that. This is something that's sort of like fascinated me for years. And I've wondered like, what is the mystery behind this single letter word? What is God trying to tell us with it? So, so here are my questions. Number one, it could be any letter. Why is it the letter hey? If you're going to have a one-letter word, could be any letter. Why the letter hey? That's question number one. Question number two is, why is it large? So have a one-letter word, fine. Make it hey, fine, but why make it large? And why are we always reading at this time of the year? Those are my questions. And then I'll give you a sneak peek of a thought that's about to come. <laughs> Many but it will tie into these questions. Many, many Parshas don't have a single large letter in them at all, or a single small letter. This one also has a small letter, Yud. So how do those two things work together? Okay. Now, um, now if this were a TV show, we'd have a commercial. <laughs> and now we're back. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the first question is, why is, um, what, what does this letter hey mean? If we're saying that it's a word, w- w- what does it mean? So, so a lot of people are familiar with the letter hey as a prefix, in which case it means the. It's kind of some basic Hebrew right there. So my, my assumption was that it meant the word the, but it actually doesn't mean the word the. There's, some, there's a grammatical construct in Hebrew called the hey she'ela, which means... Um, that if you begin a phrase with the letter hey, it means a question is about to be asked. Interesting, we don't have that in English. That's a, that's, a, that's a Hebrew construct. Okay, so let me give you the translation of the whole verse that begins with this large letter hey. Um, and it's talking about God is giving us all this goodness and we're repaying God with ingratitude. So that's the context in and here's the verse. 
Is it to Hashem that you do this, O vile and unwise people? Okay, so do you hear how that's a question? So that question is signaled by this letter He. So that's now actually even more intriguing because it means that this one letter word, this He, isn't actually even a word. It's, it's something beyond a word. It's signaling you that a question is being asked. It's not even a word. Can't even translate it. It's just sort of like this question mark, essentially. And what's so interesting is it's a question mark in the beginning of a sentence. In English, we put question marks at the end of a sentence. Or there are some languages that will put a question mark in the beginning and the end of a sentence. This is just an open-ended question mark at the beginning of a question, of a sentence. Is it red? Yep, sure. Yeah, yeah, you pronounce it, sure. Okay, so now we're ready to go deeper. So, so we know, I mentioned to you earlier that there's, there's a small yud in this week's Parsha. It says in Gomorrah Menachos that God created the heavens and the earth with the letters yud and he. So again, isn't that interesting that the two irregular letters in this week's Parsha are the letter yud and the letter he? One is small and one is large. Okay, we'll get to that later. Hey stands for this world. That's what it says in the Gomorrah. The letter Hey stands for this world. And those of you who are familiar with more Kabbalistic concepts know that when you have the four-letter name of Hashem, I always like to go top to bottom because it's like a map of the universe. You have the letter Yud and the letter Hey underneath that, the letter Vav and the letter Hey on the bottom. So everybody knows that the bottom letter Hey stands for this world. Right? And the Yud is the the Yud is the light of God that's all the way beyond, 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 beyond. And it's filtering down to the bottom letter He, which is this world. Aha. Now let's start to put these thoughts together. So this large letter He, I would like to suggest on a very deep level, stands for this world. And you know what? This letter is the only letter in the entire Torah that stands alone. And I'd like to suggest it's because this world is a very lonely place. One of the names of this world in the holy books is this world is called the world of separation. You know why? Because it's so easy to think in this world that it's separated from God. It's so easy to be separated from each other. So isn't it interesting that the one letter that was chosen to stand alone is the letter He, which stands for this world, because it's so easy to be alone, and loneliness is such a hallmark of this world. Not only that, but we said it's what? This He is a He Sha'ela. It's a hey that asks a question, silently asking a question. You know why? I'd like to suggest because in this world it's so easy to wonder if there is even a God. If there even is a God. That's built into this sense of separation. That's built into this sense of alone mark, aloneness. This, this question mark, which is this large hey, which stands for this world. This world has, wherever we look, a giant question mark attached to it. 
So with that in mind, with that in mind, I'd like to, I'm going to offer two explanations of why this letter He is large. The first one isn't so inspiring. The second one is more inspiring. I'm going to start with the less inspiring one now, okay? I'd like to suggest that the reason why the letter He is large is because when you wonder if you're all alone, if you wonder if there's even a God, you know what the thing that people start to do is if they have any success, they start to attribute all the success to themselves. They make themselves very big. And so I'd like to suggest that that's why the hay is large, because it's disconnected. And so the implication is that we tend to enlarge ourselves because we think we're the ones who are doing things. Okay? Like I said, that's the less inspiring version of the large hay. <laughs> we'll get a more inspiring one later. But again, what's so unbelievable about the Torah, what I love so much about the Torah, is how many levels it's operating on. You know, one of my favorite stories, I haven't told it in a while, is I went to a first class uh, at Israelite with Rabbi David Aaron. And, um, you know, it was, it was like, this was many, many years ago. And I had learned a little bit, but his classes are so deep, you can go to the most introductory class and learn a lot. So I showed up, it was in Jerusalem, and he's sitting in front of a blackboard, sitting in front of a blackboard. There's some people there, and he starts off the first class on the first day of this program, and he says, okay, what's the Torah? And someone raises their hand and says, a book of history. He goes, great. He writes down a book of history. Someone else says, a book of laws. He goes, great. He writes down a book of laws. And I raise my hand. He says, go ahead. I said, the Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite. And he said, okay, let's hold off on that for a moment. <laughs> but but that's, that's the Torah. The Torah is something that we're endlessly unpacking. So we're, we're seeing how many levels there are just to this le- letter Hey, but we're, we're, we're not even halfway done yet, okay? So what's awesome, what's awesome is the Torah is going to explain itself now, okay? What is the very next word after this large letter Hey? In other words, it's answering the question before most of us can even ask the question. Are we really all alone? Are we really all alone? What's the very next word in the Torah after the big letter He? Ladonai. Which means La means to and Adonai, to God. So in other words, this world which has the illusion of being detached. We have the illusion of being alone. The very next word is telling us, no, 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 no. It's attached to God. (laughs) Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. It's attached to God. And very interestingly, it uses the yud ke vav because we're saying that this is the hay from the yud ke vav right? So you're never alone. Wherever you go, you're never alone. One of the deepest teachings that I heard, right, is that God is as present in this world as he is in the higher dimensions. He's more concealed, but he's no less present. That's a breakthrough idea, by the way. That's a breakthrough idea. I'll say it again because it's very important for everyone to understand this. God is as present in this world as he is in the highest heavens. He's just more concealed. That's all. When you know that and when you really cultivate that understanding within yourself, you realize you're never alone. Wherever you go, wherever you do, you're never alone. But it's more than never being alone. It's more than that. It's more than that. Because... You see, I, I heard this, I think, from <coughs> Rabbi Chaim Shmuel Levitz. 
but an awesome bit of imagery. You have a baby in its mother's arms, okay? And let's say the mom is a jet setter, right? So now she's in Los Angeles, right? Soon she's going to be in New York, then she'll be in London, she'll be in South Africa, right? So the mom knows that she's going to all these faraway places. But the baby who's in her arms, wherever the mom goes, it doesn't matter. The baby's awareness is only one thing. It's always in its mother's arms, right? So as much as the mom is going everywhere, the baby, the baby knows that it's in the same place all the time. It's in its mother's arms. Yeah. So that's us and God. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we're in God's divine embrace because God is absolutely everywhere. That's just, that's the reality of the world. Now we just have to cultivate that awareness and that understanding, that sensitivity, but that's the reality of the world. So I promised you it gets deeper. So, so the letter hey is actually really awesome because halakhically it describes the blueprint and dimensions of a sukkah. So, so the question was, why are we always reading this Parsha at Sukkah's time? Because this big hay is a Sukkah. Okay, so we said that the letter that God created this entire world with is a hay. And we're saying that this is the dimensions of a Sukkah. I'll explain to you in a moment. So that means that this entire world is a Sukkah, right? Okay, so let me explain. So someone very great, I, um, the name isn't coming to mind very, right now, but, but I th- it may have been the Vilna Gon, explains that if you actually write out the word sukkah, okay, let's see if I can do this backwards. So you have the first letter is a samich, that's a circle. So that's the best sukkah. That's, that's because it's completely surrounding you. That would be like four walls, right? Then the next letter, bless you, the next letter of a sukkah is the letter chaf, which is one, two, three walls of a sukkah. Okay? And that's halachic. That's, that's a kosher sukkah. And then the minimum that you need to have is like the letter hey, which is the last letter of a sukkah. One wall, two walls, and a third small wall. <laughs> if you have those dimensions, then you have a kosher sukkah. Now, I had a question when I first started learning about sukkahs and things like that, which is, if the whole idea, and by the way, I I heard this teaching that when you sit in a sukkah, this is a divine hug. And I thought this was like a Reb Shlomo teaching from like the House of Love and Prayer. And later on, I heard that it was in the name of the Ari, right? So like hundreds of years old from our greatest Kabbalist, okay? This idea that when you're sitting in a sukkah, you're sitting in a divine embrace, and this is what I was trying to tell you before, that this whole world was made out of the letter He, which is the dimensions of a sukkah, which means that this entire world is a divine embrace. So here was my question. If the whole idea is to feel this embrace, how could it be that you could have a sukkah that's kosher that has any less than four walls? In other words, if I were making up the rules... I would say, well, look, the whole idea is you should feel like you're in a hug. So if you want to feel like you're in a hug, you need four walls. That's the halacha. Good luck, right? But 
That's not the halacha. The halacha is you can have two walls and then a third smaller wall, which means you have open areas. So you have open areas, but at the same time, the deeper communication is that you're in a divine embrace. What is that supposed to teach us? So what I'd like to say based on that is it's to show you that even in those times, just like when there's no walls, even in those times when you feel like God is not present in your life, he's a thousand percent present in your life. Remember, God is as present here in this dimension as he is in the higher dimensions. He's just more concealed. Not only that, but this, this is intense. I heard from the senior Rabbi Sitran, Rabbi Chaim Sitran. He said that God is as hidden in this world as he can possibly be, where if you look for him, he can still be found. If he were any more hidden in this world, if you looked for him, he couldn't even be found. But he can still be found. And so I think that that revelation comes out in the missing walls of a sukkah that's still kosher. That even in those moments in life where you feel like God is not present, you're still within this divine embrace. Unbelievable, right? But let's go deeper still. Kabbalistically speaking, when God created the world, the very first act that, what, that God did was he did something, an act called tzimtzum. So what does tzimtzum mean? So God fills the entire universe and isn't limited by the universe. By the way, that's not Judaism. If you, it sounds very spiritual and sounds very Jewish. You say, God fills the entire world. So that sounds super cool, right? But that's actually, if you want to get super fancy, that's called panentheism. That's actually a belief that's not a Jewish belief. Because the implication of that is that, that God equals the world and the world equals God. Because God just fills the world. In other words, what a person is doing when saying that, perhaps unintentionally, is they're putting parameters around God's infinity. Because God, I'm going to add this word, just fills the world. Right? What we say is God fills the entire world and exists beyond, 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 beyond. But now, now we're back to Judaism. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. So, um, so, so what is the first act that God did when he created the material universe? He made a space within himself for the universe to be able to exist within. And of course, he made a space within himself to create this illusion, is he here, is he not here? In other words, the reason why this was the first act of creation was in order for God to create a dynamic where we could have free choice, where we could say there is a God or there isn't a God. So if, if you think that, you know, sometimes I wonder, it's very hard to believe, this is such a personal failing of mine, what's my problem? You have to understand that the creation of the entire universe was predicated on us having this free choice, and that all of material existence is built on this, this proposition that we have the ability to deny God. And this was by God's design. See, a lot of people think, again, they, they can't speak it out because they haven't thought about it that long, quite frankly. But I, I, I've thought about it a little bit, and I can tell you that a lot of people, and again, they can't articulate this, they think that God is weak. 
Now that's crazy. Why would you think God is weak? God made the whole world. He keeps the whole world running. Because here's the unarticulated thought. If God were so great and so strong, how come he can't make me believe in him? (laughs) Why do I have any questions about his existence? It must be because he's weak. Because if he were strong, then I'd know God is God. But when you understand that God, by design, created the universe in such a way where we have free choice, and that's predicated on his concealment, you begin to have great appreciation for the awesomeness of God. You know, if you ever see those, um, those movies that are like the sting, right? Like, I don't know if you ever saw that, but like, who's, zo- who's zooming who, right? Like, you see someone who's playing the sucker the whole movie, and then you realize, oh, they're actually running the show, right? So that's God in this physical universe. We, we tend to think like, oh, no, no, no. I, I, I figured this out. I got it down. And it's like, God is so many leagues beyond us. It's ridiculous. As, as the prophet says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. And remember, even logic is an invention of God. See, but the joke, the, the hilarious joke is that we then use our brains, which God created, and God created all the rules of logic, and then we use our brains and our logic to tell God what he can and can't do. It's, re- it's absurd. It's completely absurd. But we haven't gotten to the point yet. Let's get back to this idea of tzimtzum. God is about to create the entire universe. He makes a space within himself, right? And then he, he, and then he creates the universe. That's the first sukkah. That's the first sukkah, because what has God done? He's created the first divine hug, right? That means before God ever even created the world, he was already hugging it and embracing it. Now, you want to hear something wild? Anatomically, each human being is a microcosm of the universe. Now, what correlates with that initial space that God carved out, so to speak, in order to create the world, that's a woman's womb, right? Because that's where children are created. So based on what I just said, I want to offer the following idea, which is that means that every woman, before she even has a baby, she's already hugging it, right? Because that's the, that's the divine space. That's the divine hug that, 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 that every woman is built in with a hug <laughs> from birth. Every woman has a hug from birth. It's, it's, it's amazing. We talk about how women are nurturing. They're literally, they really are. I mean, I, didn't, I don't know that, I guess men have arms, so you can say that's a hug, but it's not as good a hug. <laughs> okay. So this world is a sukkah. Wherever you go, you're not alone. You're within God's divine embrace. All right, so now I promised you that we're going to get to the small letter Yud. So now you'll see how the letter Yud ties in. And we'll get to the the more inspiring idea of the large letter He, okay? So imagine a tube of toothpaste for a moment. All right, if I squeeze out all of the toothpaste in the tube of toothpaste, there's no toothpaste left in it. The tube gets smaller, right? So what did we say? We said that God created the 
the heavens with the letter Yud and the earth with the letter He. And in this week's Parsha, the letter He is super big. The letter Yud is very small. So what I'd like to suggest is, how did the Yud get so small? Because it squeezed all of its light into this world. (laughs) At this time during the year, when we've got so many holidays, when we've got so much Kedusha, when we've got so much light, the light of the heavens are pouring down into this world, and that's what's making the letter Hay large. Because it's like bulging with the light of heaven. That's why the letter Yud is small. Because it's giving all of its light to this world, making the letter Hay large. You know, a brother was asking me yesterday about Torah study. And I thought about the question, and I didn't, I didn't, have, a, I didn't, have, the, didn't have a good answer, but I, I was thinking about it during the day, and I want to give a better answer, which is the importance of studying Torah every single day. Now that we're starting a new year, we have to kind of get it together and really at least try to point ourselves in the right direction. And learning Torah every day is, is very, very important. Even if, by the way, it's two minutes. There's so many great books which are like the deepest thoughts, just like narrowed down. I, I always think of um, this thing I learned in high school, that there are dwarf stars that are so condensed that if you have a teaspoon of a dwarf star, it weighs billions of pounds, right? So, so there's certain Torah teachings that you can read them in a minute or less, and you can think about them the rest of the day, the rest of your life. One book that I always like to recommend is Rabbi Tzvi Freeman's book, Bringing Heaven Down to Earth. Highly recommend that one. That's, that's an example of what I'm talking about. But what I'd like to suggest about learning Torah every day is, you see, imagine I'm a, I'm a math professor at, you know, a fancy college, right? I'm teaching math um, at MIT. Okay, great. So when I learned as a child that uh, the number two follows the number one, probably that's not going to be any more of a teaching, I'm guessing, when I get my PhD in advanced calculus, right? Two follows one. Okay. Now, from that, I use that as a foundation to build incredible things. But I don't understand the number two following the number one in any more dramatic way. You see, Torah study isn't like that. Torah study, you build a foundation, but the more you learn, the more you return back to the most basic ideas that you learned to begin with, and they become advanced calculus. (laughs) These foundational one plus one equal two thoughts, once you revisit them later on in your life, all of a sudden they sort of change and they blossom and you realize what was in them that you never even realized to begin with. And you get that through steady Torah study. And so the entire ladder becomes this organic thing where the bottom rung all of a sudden now is the top rung and it's like, wah!
And I've definitely seen it. I've definitely seen it in my own life. I would tell you that studying the letter Hey, when I was a kid, I learned about the letter Hey. So what, what more do you need to know about the letter Hey, right? But here you have the whole talk on the letter Hey, right? How did that happen? Just by studying Torah, and you keep on studying Torah. And then everything transforms and becomes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper because the Torah itself is infinite. Okay. I, it's a big day and we all have so much to do. I just... Uh, I'll just maybe end on, on just one, one thought. Um, you know... One of the laws of building a sukkah is that you have to be able to see the stars through the schach, right? And, um, you know, one of, the, one of the names that our Holy Mother Sarah um, had, in addition to Sarah, was, was a name that has, as its, shares its root with the word schach. And halachically speaking, according to Jewish law, you have to be able to look through the, the palm fronds or the bamboo mat or whatever it is and be able to see the stars. So schach has this idea of seeing through it. And the reason why Sarah had this other name, which has this built-in English definition of the word to gaze in it, is because she was very beautiful. So just like you look through schach, People gazed at Sarah because she was so beautiful. So I heard Rabbi Tatz, based on this, give a Jewish definition for beauty. And I, I thought it was very good. So what does it mean to be beautiful in a Torah sense? It means that people should gaze at you and look through you and be able to see the light of God through you. Just like you can see the stars through the schach, people should be able to look at you and it's not about your physical beauty. It's about the light that you're giving off. And people should be able to sense that you're an emissary of a higher light. And that's beauty. And that gives a person chen. When a person knows that you're connected to the you above, right? That you're not alone. That you're actually generating that sense of the divine embrace wherever you go, whatever you do. Then people just say, ah. So beautiful. So Hashem should bless us to be beautiful people and to have a beautiful life in this beautiful world. Amen. Who was included? By the way, that name of Sarah is Iska. You actually see that at the end of Parsha's Noah. <laughs>